You're listening to Personal Rejection Letter, a podcast by writers with day jobs. Hello, everybody. I'm Kelly Daniels. I'm Dan Libman. Good morning, Kelly. How are you? Good morning to you. Good. I'm in a library. Mm. I was excited about getting, going out to get one of those stubby golf pencils, but they don't have them anymore. They only have these actual nice pens, so I'm disappointed. Oh, you must be in a ritzy kind of neighborhood. You know what it is? It's all that nuclear power plant money going yeah, to the local uh, library. It's not exactly ritzy. You can't buy good taste, but you, you can uh, tax people. You can tax a nuclear power plant and, and have a lot for civic institutions, which I, I'm fine with. Just for listeners at home, uh, Dan lives in on a farm inside of two big, very much Simpsons-like smokestacks for a nuclear power plant. And you could see it from just about anywhere on the farm, um, big billows of smoke coming out. You always know the direction of the wind when you're on uh, the Libman farm. So, and as a bicycle uh, rider, that comes in handy quite quite frequently. Mm-hmm. They ta- tax that thing, and so there's good schools and good facilities, right? Actually, yeah, it is. It's a nice place, and you get used to looking at the towers. They don't bother me, but whenever a visitor comes out, that's pretty much all they can talk about for the first several hours is the, hey, it looks like Springfield. One of the spots you uh, learn how to surf in Orange County, it's called San Onofre. It's San Onofre Nuclear Power Plant, and it's these two big bulbous power plants right on the the water. And I remember going there with uh, a girlfriend way back when, and she was very much of a a sort of granola person. And uh, she was completely freaked out by people going in the water near these things. And um, I'd never even thought about it that way. That was just like where the surf is really mushy and easy to learn on. But, uh, and it's a state park. It's really pretty. And, but uh, anyway, everybody has their different ideas about what to be afraid of. I don't think they're uh, letting the cooling water uh, off into the, into the regular waterways. Although what do I know? Who knows? It's been a long time since China Syndrome came out. Yes, indeed. You can tell by the crumbled paper, Kelly, it's time for our revision, also because we're in the library, and also because I forgot to bring paper. I want you to know that I also, this, I have crumbled up for you a 2016 form Illinois 1040 individual income tax return. And, <laughs> oh, that felt good. Yeah, man. Thank One you, Uncle Sam. We're just uh... crumble that up enough. You know, it's smart not to pay your taxes. Oh, is it? That's what the president said. Oh, yeah, that's right. But here's the big people are going, you know what? I'm not going to pay my taxes if you don't blah, blah, blah. Then I'm like, okay, like, okay, does that mean I don't do my taxes? Which means that I just don't get my return back. (laughs) So, you know what I mean? Because they already have my taxes. They already took it out. You've been paying all year. Yeah. So now just refusing to fill out the form will just give money to the government that they'll use to uh, invade places. My threshold for getting in trouble is really, really low. So I'm just going to go ahead and do it. Yeah, I'm not a very good uh, agitator when it comes to putting myself in danger of getting arrested and all that kind of stuff. I'm more of an ideas man. I'll let other people <laughs> I'm the general that sits a couple of knolls away from the front line. and right. Because, you know, you can't put me in danger because, you know, I'm the brains of the operation, like you. And awesome. uh, so I think it's really important for us not to... Uh, to, to watch out for ourselves, uh, just for the health of the movement. And somebody has to write the poem about the battle once it's over. That's true. Walt Whitman. He was a nurse. What are you, 
what are you going to revise today, Mr. Daniels? You know, it's a little depressing. And, uh, but hey, I think that uh, truth is important sometimes. Not always, sometimes. Uh, I listened to the fan fiction one the other day. Yeah. And I have to say my general impression was it wasn't a, a very good episode. Mainly because of my own sort of obfuscating and going on too long and being long-winded. I took like half of the episode was my revision where I gave this long speech trying to recreate what happened on a previous episode. Yeah. And my sort of verbal tics that um, I have sometimes were accented in a way because probably because I just wasn't in my right groove. Toward the end, it was really good. Now Scarred and the Elf um, porn. Right. Sort you, you of uh, fanfic. Uh, an elaborate sexual fantasy you had about Knausgaard. The, all of a sudden, I got really articulate when we got to that part, and it was yeah, yeah. it was very entertaining. But before that, and I felt like we didn't even get to what fan fiction really is or how it works on actual blog. I don't think either one of us have ever looked at a fan fiction blog or website, and that's the, the sort problem. Of came yeah, ignorance of the subject didn't help us much. No, but hey, we're moving on. That was my revision. I thought it was a. I thought it was. A, I have to disagree with you. I listened to it. I thought you were entertaining. I'm not sure what visual, what audio ticks you're talking about. Uh, but oh, I, I, I was entertained by it. And I, uh, that Nausgaard stuff was hot. Good. Thank you. Although well, that I, makes me I feel better. Like, I didn't know we used software to eliminate the pauses. The pauses are really, to me, that's really where the action happens. You know, I'm sort of a John Cage kind of a music guy. You know, what what would the software do with his pieces? Yeah, how about that um, Philip Glass? Is that the one where he has like yeah. the record that's just like a half an hour's worth of silence, and that's his song? No, that's that's John Cage. Philip Cage, Glass yeah, is the minimalist stuff. Okay, um, there it is. I'm Too just bad. bearing my heart to you. I'm just slicing it open, pulling it open. It's beaten. It's shooting blood on the microphone. That's just what happens here sometimes. That's writing for you. Mm-hmm. Two things, two things occur to me and then we'll move on. One is that uh, I love the idea of you making a revision and the thing that you're revising is that you had already revised something for too long. I like going back to it for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And my new revision was pretty long too. So. And I think there must be a, uh, a software that you and Gabe are using to remove all my uh, intelligent, urbane remarks because they seem to be missing from the podcast as well. <laughs> yeah, I bet, yeah, it is a, it is a software thing yeah we should talk to gabe about it and get the other software that adds intelligent things yeah but i i mean it it was like we had to buy one or the other and the the one was cheaper so that's what we went for but yeah. maybe uh, maybe that wasn't the right decision we're now we're back to the robots broadcasting for us <laughs> yes Good. um kelly let me ask you a question and then answer it immediately what do fear and loathing alice in wonderland and pretty much every other book that's ever written have in common <laughs> well, I know the answer, and so I want to try to be cute about it, but I, I can't because it's that the uh, person who wrote it was just all doped out, maybe while so. it was written. Is Fear and Loathing written while he was actively on drugs, or was it just he took all the oh. drugs and then got sober and then wrote what the experience was like? I appreciate you asking an intelligent question that I'm unprepared to answer. Mm. I think my understanding is that a lot of it was recorded uh, in the car with the guy, I forget the name of the guy who's the co-character in the book. Yeah, the, but, his lawyer. And so, yeah, the lawyer. And, and a lot of it was just transcribed from these 
totally drugged out recordings that they made. So I'm going to have to say yes, but probably sure there was some post editing that, that went on. Same thing with Kerouac, who was also on drugs, uh, you know, on Benadryl, Benadryl, on Benzedrine. Uh, he's probably on Benadryl too. Well, the most famous one maybe is uh, Coleridge. And he was yeah. very much into opium. And it seems like the opium is what made his work. Although his peers, his colleagues said that the opium did more damage to his writing than it helped. If he was actually sober and healthy, he would have been even better. That's what they yeah. said. I think uh, A. Conan Doyle, is it A. A. Conan? A. A. Milne, A. Conan Doyle? Conan Doyle, you know, Arthur yeah, Conan, Arthur Conan, Conan he, uh, Doyle. He famously wrote a lot of those Sherlock stories while on opium as well. Uh, he had an opioid addiction. I mean, Sherlock Holmes is on opium in a lot of the stories. Mm, I didn't know that. But what I want to ask you is what are you taking and are you taking or are you taking? And if you're not taking, do you have a routine? Here's, I think that we can broaden the question out, not just to uh, drugs and caffeine. I mean, I, I'm someone who writes while inhaling a lot of caffeine. And I've tried to write drunk and I've tried to write high too. Have you done that? No, not maybe when I was in high school or something. Um, yeah. I did write a this long sort of epic poem when I was high school or right after high school. And I, I sort of don't even want to mention this because I'm not proud of this, but I was on crystal meth. And Ooh. I know that's bad stuff. Uh, but there was a lot of it around when I was growing up in my kind of that town where I grew, went to high school and, and all that. Yeah. It was a real druggy place. Inland Empire, California. That's like a lot of a lot of all that drug stuff came came from originated from that part of the world. But uh I remember writing like crazy. Like the ideas like my pen couldn't go fast as fast as my mind was going and the ideas were coming out. And it was bad, of course, because I was a kid and didn't know how to write and but it was probably good for my limitations. Like it helped. It's hard to, we want to say that drugs hurt and that steroids are ultimately bad for you, even though they just undeniably make you a better athlete. Right. But, uh, and I think that drugs like speed probably do make us better writers for the short term, at least. And you know. the short term is the, that's the thing. I mean, speed made John Belushi funnier, but it also, you know, killed him. Problem is trying to maintain it. Yeah. Um, I remember when that book Wired came out and um, about John Belushi and, and his wife got criticized for saying nobody ever talks about how drugs are good. And everybody's like, well, what did she say? Drugs are good. Well, the, she's right. Drugs are yeah. good for a little while in small doses. The problem is that human beings seem to be unable to control them or most can. Yeah. It's like, do you want to go the long, play the long game and, uh, you know, maybe <laughs> not be as brilliant? at any given moment, but have a long career and hope that you hit some high points and maybe get somewhere in a real, I don't know, maybe even a Buddhist kind of journey way, like thinking of writing as, as a quest, a long, long, lifelong quest for wisdom versus doping yourself up and just having these brilliant and maybe funny or maybe intense insights that just seem to, in some ways, come from outside of you. Um, and then live not very long. <laughs> so Right. That's, and you also, but yet somehow you have to be able to communicate them and filter them back down to a non-doped public, general public, which I think maybe that's where the talent comes from. I've never tried it on a sustained level. And I have to say that I was very unproductive 
I, I'm, t- I'm not, you know, like when I have one beer, it feels pretty good to be writing. But by the time yeah. I have the sex beer, I don't know what I'm doing anymore. And I mean, that's just beer. It's pretty lightweight stuff. But yeah, um, I'll, I'll jot down some notes when I'm having a beer sometimes and uh, have write on these little cards. Um, that I like to keep in my pocket just in case. And sometimes I'll get on a little groove. But like you said, it is, it's a one beer thing. And halfway through beer two, it just, I just start losing interest and also just start getting a little fuzzy. So no, I think, yeah, I'm like you coffee. I like to write in the morning, you know, like not, I don't set my alarm at five in the morning and then get up and do that. I, I wake up and sort of wake, get fully awake and then go into a good, uh, a place to uh, either a quiet place or a cafe kind of place where there's enough background noise where you could tune it out. I love writing in libraries um, with like my big Mm -hmm. travel mug of coffee uh-huh. And I may do a second travel mug of coffee, like a 20-ouncer if I'm writing well, but I'm usually 20 ounces a day or I or I just start feeling kind of sick. I'm very yeah, that's the other delicate. thing. When I'm on my third cup of coffee, I start to get jittery and then it, it starts to work. It starts to have a negative effect or yeah. a deleteri- der- deleterious. I always want to use that word. Deleterious? Del- yeah, I think del- you pronounced del- it right. It has Are- a deleterious effect on my writing, Kelly. Uh, yes, that, that was well used, and um, yeah, I think that it it also has a negative effect on mine after. I am several curious, cups. though. Let me let me just go back. I'm just curious what I mean. What could meth possibly do for your writing other than just give you the energy to do it? Was it helping you in other ways? Because I think some of the drugs that the Beats took, and um, even possibly uh, Hunter Thompson, I think that was uh, it, it was having an impact on the writing. I do. It, it helps like, you focus. Um, it's Okay, like Ritalin and I think Adderall yes. are attention deficit disorder drugs, right? Correct. They're just speed. But really they're speed, they're speed. Yeah. and speed does that. It focuses your attention. You can get really absorbed in one task to the exclusion of everything else. And you can do that as a writer, but it takes a while to get into the rabbit hole as, you know, to use that to bring that back up. And it's hard. It takes a lot of work and you can get distracted pretty easily. The speed, whether it's like the kind of, you know, scummy, like, you know, street drugs that we, we associate with white trash or whether it's the pills that are prescribed that we associate with a middle-class white people. And, um, they're the same thing. I'm pretty sure they, they're pretty much the same, um, effect. It's just one is regulated and official and the other one is, you might get something you you didn't want in if you buy it from the street, uh, but yeah, I it I think you could go and you could you could also work for hours and hours without losing concentration. And a lot of college students and law students uh, take a take those kinds of drugs because it helps them write their papers. They can write a you know a full on twenty five page paper in one night on those drugs in a way that you just couldn't do it. If you're not well, you and I both teach out. in colleges, and and I'm sure that you're aware of this too. But there is a huge secondary market from people who have prescriptions for Adderalls to resell it and uh, that sort of thing. I'm sure. I try not to think about it or get involved because it's just that's not my duty, you know, as being a drug cop. But yeah, I think it. It. Uh, I'm sure it happens. Yeah. I guess a bigger question is: Is it? <laughs> It's the same question for the steroid thing. Like if it does make you better, does it, how, (laughs) 
okay, Mark McGuire hit 65 home runs or however many home runs he hit, and he's not getting into the to the Hall of Fame because even though that achievement is otherworldly, it was aided by these drugs, but yet the achievement is still the achievement. You know right. what I mean? And so even with, with a book, of course, there's no you know, board of, there's no random drug testing to see if people on writing books or writing poetry collections are doing it with uh, performance enhancing drugs that should be banned maybe. And, but if you think of writing as a competition, which many writers don't want to think of it as, but it sort of is like, I mean, if you're really going to be honest with yourself, any kind of book press only has so many slots, any, if you enter a contest, how can you not understand that as a competition? Like there's going to be one winner out of the 275 applicant or, or entries. That and, sort of puts it a little bit more starkly than just, uh, and if all the best, if all the winners are all kind of amped up on dope that are really helping them write more intensely and more focused. Um, and then you did it without the help of that and you tried your damnedest and you wrote a pretty good book, but it couldn't compete with this, like, this sort of assisted stuff. I'm making a lot of assumptions here that one could argue about against, but um, do you have the right to feel slighted? Um, And uh, the answer is ultimately no, you can't. No, for sure. Because I mean, there's no expectation that a writer isn't on drugs. I mean, with the the most celebrated writers, even if you, you know, look at Edgar Allan Poe and all those, they were all, there's some sort of problem that you're dealing with in the world and, and alcoholism is one way of dealing with that problem, and writing is another way of problem. If you try to imagine Bukowski without his uh, drugs and alcohol, what do you have left? What are you reading exactly? But in a, a lot of ways, Bukowski's were not performance-enhancing. They, they made him who he was, but he was battling against severe alcoholism. He was writing through hangovers, which nobody has ever made the case that a hangover is good for your creativity or your production, right? Well, if you're writing about hangovers, then then it's not hurting. You're researching. Yeah, I still feel like there's a difference between drugs that actively help the writing process and drugs that hurt it beyond the subject matter or the persona that you have or whatever. So you're talking about like Babe Ruth. He was on drugs, but those were performance-reducing drugs. He should even get it. Not an asterisk. That's what the uh, people on the PEDs. Yeah. performance enhancing drugs, uh, get, they get an asterisk that says, Hey, you got this record, but you know, he did it on drugs. He should get like a different symbol, like a cross or something. An ampersand. Yeah. The ampersand that says that he should actually have more home runs. You should add some because he was so drunk in the library of Congress. There should be an asterisk section of books that we know were written under performance enhancing drugs. I just think Amazon should just do it, do that. Just put an asterisk when you go to the Amazon books and, they should, and the you know you click on the asterisk, and it goes down to a little footnote. It says this is not as good as it seems. Yeah, it's cheated. You know what really bugs me is um, just like you know the sort of life enhancing drugs that people do. There's you know life is sort of a competition, right, for jobs and for resources, and and there's just some guy I'm in competition with. Let's say we're you know whatever. We're is it me? No, it's not you, but the hypothetical world, we're after the same girl, we're after the same job, whatever. And he has in his genes high blood pressure, which means he'll probably die by age 50. Except now he takes high blood pressure medicine where he can live just as long as me. That's not fair. Mm -hmm. And it's actually damaging the human uh, 
species by uh, passing on bad genes. So I think that all the enhancing drugs should be eliminated. What about glasses? I always bothered. It was all. It always bothered me that people with bad vision got to wear glasses, and you yeah. know, people yeah. like me, I had to just use my good vision, my good peepers. Yeah, and now that we both have the, we have those uh, the readers, right? Well, so, I, I aged into that, but you know, teeth brushing is another thing. I have a very base saliva, so I never had cavities, but it always bothered me when people got their cavities filled. You're using an unfair advantage, a medical advantage, where yeah. I'm just. You know, I disagree with that one because I have some uh, fillings. But, all the, but the other ones that you said, the, the, the uh, site, I think that people who get nose jobs, yeah. how about boob jobs? Talk about unfucking fair Yeah, I don't like it. You know what I, I mean? Got, You're just I, like, I mean, hey, I'm not a woman. I'm not in direct competition with the boob job lady. But if I was like a really pretty skinny woman and then some other woman like got a boob job and started getting all the dudes... I'd be like, well, I, I, unfair. That, that one doesn't bother me because I, I got a boob job at one point, and yeah. it did help me get a job. So. I thought you, you were telling me something about a reduction. Yeah, I got my breasts reduced. What did I say? <laughs> you said boob job, but yeah, I guess a boob reduction That is, is a boob one. job. How dare you? Uh, um, yeah, and the whole liposuction thing. Taking a fatty, turning it into a skinny through medical science. That's not right. That's not r- natural. I feel like those terms are offensive. Fatty? Or medical. Yeah. Well, you're not talking about a blunt or something. You know what? Fatty is a term of endearment. Because it ends in a Y? It's cute. Fatties okay. are cute. Pinch them. Pinch their cheeks. Pinch their chubbies. All right. I think this is a good one. Um, I wrote a poem. Let's congr- oh, oh, congratulate oh. ourselves a little more. You wrote a poem? What? Well, I was going right. to save that for what are you writing? I just I just went down on my next note. I'm done. In, I'm done with my notes. Oh, but okay. uh, I did want to say, uh, can we talk about baseball for a second? Yeah, I think that those people like McGuire and Bonds and all those guys, I think they should be in the Hall of Fame because people knew what they were doing when they were doing it. Baseball, let them do it. Now you put them in the Hall of Fame and you just say, hey, that he did what he did. Like you said, the event stands too bad. We let it happen, but here you go. I think they. I think it's unfair now to la- come on later on and say, "Hey, the sports writers don't like it, so you're not getting uh, what you deserve." Kelly Daniels. Well, I didn't have anything to say, but then I took a nice long pull from my coffee, and now I'm just got all kinds of things to say. Beautiful. So, uh, no, I I agree. I think that you know what. Here's my take on it. Talking about the Hall of Fame is like talking about the Academy Awards is like talking about the National Book Award. It's such complete bullshit that who cares? Like, I like the games. I like the books. I sometimes like the movies. I just, these award ceremonies are just jerk-off sessions, and that's just all there is to it, to me. And I just, I I give absolutely no credit. If somebody someday gives me an award, I'll accept it and and the, the monetary thing that goes with it, and I'll brag about it and put it on my CV. But that's all it is. I don't think it means anything. Yeah. So there it is. That's my take. Stick like to it. Jerk off session. And speaking of which, that there is one more pill you can take to aid with that, even too. Should we allow that? No, I don't think so, man. I think that again, when it comes to just like evening the playing, making everything fair, not evening. It's the opposite of evening the playing field. Yeah. If you can't get a boner. And your wife is desperate and she should, then the people who want to have affairs with your wife, who still can get boners, 
should have a better chance of doing that because you're a flawed human. I think the uh, the Viagra, I think the argument isn't your wife is desperate. I think it's you're desperate to still hang on to a little bit of youth. I think I think my general understanding is the wives are pretty happy if you don't get the prescription, just to hang tight with what's happening. But what, <laughs> that, I mean, yeah. That's not how they advertise it. It's like these wives are just hot to trot, man. And you're just not, but yeah, I, I think you're probably right. How about Rush Limbaugh getting caught at the border going to uh, with this jumbo thing of Viagra? Um, I don't know about this. Oh, it was a long time ago. It was just this embarrassment. But he was going to one of these places that are just sex tourism where they have prostitutes galore for cheap in the developing world, like, you know, Dominican Republic or something like that. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. Maybe that's the wrong um, country. So I don't want to malign any country or say that it's that's it's one of its big industries. But, you know, just you think of gross Rush Limbaugh taking a bunch of Viagra and just hiring a bunch of perhaps even underage prostitutes for a, a nice long. <laughs> I think that this, we're crossing the line into uh, actionable. I think that, I said like, perhaps fake news. fake news. You know what? Not- this is a satirical podcast. It is right. not a newscast. And if I, I want to just sort of, you know, imagine that when, uh, let's be honest here, Rush Limbaugh, you think that guy's going to like really have this strict 18 and over policy when he goes whoring? Yes, I do. Okay. Dan Libman says, yes, I do. I guess he, he is the kind of guy that would sue like a tiny podcast that, you know, has a couple hundred listeners. (laughs) I'm a hundred percent sure what Kelly just said is untrue. What Kelly Daniels just said. <laughs> the previously known as Kelly Daniels now uh using a symbol for his name yeah. and impossible to search online and has no contact information or address. Um, Kelly? Yeah. What are you working on? What are you what are you what are you I, well, how's the teaching going? Mm, what are you reading? Teaching is not going. We're still we start Monday and today is Saturday, so uh the, I talked about my writing last time, and so this time I'll talk a little bit about a novel that I am reading, and it's called Good on Paper. Good and, on Paper? Yeah, it's called Good on Paper. Are and, you reading it on paper? Yes, it's it's a real book. I bought it at AWP from Melville House. Oh, they're good. And uh, a lot of the things about the novel I just automatically hate, and yet I'm still kind of enjoying it. And let me tell you what these things are. Set in New York City. You know how I feel about that. Nothing wrong with New York City, but just too many books set there. The main character, single mother, who's with an Indian. She's a white woman with, and her daughter is from, is half, is biracial from an Indian guy when she was in India. And then the father is no, has no part in in it. So she, anyway, biracial daughter. And then a, um, Pakistani or something live in like roommate who's a gay guy who is the co-parent out of a friendship kind of deal. What do I dislike about that? It just seems like the calculated sort of, let's make this as diverse as possible in the way that that cheesy way of diversity where you're just trying to get the United Nations colors. Just, uh, it just seems really calculated, right? When I read a book by a white person that just has a cast like that, so on the surface, I don't like those two things about it. Um, and the uh, writer, the, the narrator is an 
a sort of academic would a kind of would be writer, which I'm not always crazy about. I guess I don't know. Maybe I I do like that. But what do I like about it? She's a translator, and she's translating some mysterious this great poet, no, recent Nobel Prize winning poet out of Italy, and he contacts her out of nowhere, and she's like totally unknown as a translator. And why is this famous guy contacting her? And it it feels like there's this weird conspiracy going on, and there's the the Y two K bug. Remember that way back when? Vaguely, yeah. If they, all the computers were going to stop working when the millennial hit or something like that, um, mm-hmm. that seems to be a, it's pretty entertaining. I like it. Good. So good on paper. Oh, here's one thing I really loved about it. When I met the uh, Melville House people at AWP, the main, the older of the two guys, um, somebody called him, said that he was the publisher, like referred to him as. So maybe he was the the main. Melville House House guy, which the, he's the he's the Captain Ahab of Melville. Yeah, and I'm sort of uh, yeah, and I was a little starstruck. Um, and uh, obviously, there's a long line of people that wanted to talk to him because you know they wanted to send him their manuscripts, right? <laughs> but I wanted to tell him about um, PRL baby, and so I waited my turn. And and since I'm buying books, you know, he's sort of, you know, sort of has to talk to me. And Did you get uh, a bookmark? I gave him a bookmark and his partner, and he was like the best sort of listener ever. Mm-hmm. He immediately blocks everybody out. Everybody's around him. He gives all his attention to the bookmark. He laughs heartily at the name. That's a great name. And tell me, asking me all these questions. Wow. His partner comes from the other side of the stand and wants a bookmark too. And wants, and they're totally into it. And I have, I have no idea whether what how sincere it was, and I in many ways I don't care how sincere it was because he made me feel so good, and uh, I thought I'm never like that. I should be more like that when people are, you know, just show an interest in other human beings. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, so I liked him, and so I was even more wanted to like the book, and I do like the book. So there it is. There's my story. I would really like it if you were a little bit more like that as well. Mm-hmm. I know. I need to improve. I guess yeah. I need to be better. I need to change my life. When I talk to you, I want you to focus a little bit more on me. Well, I'll tell you what, those, uh, those bookmarks are great, and we should maybe give some to our listeners if they would like to uh, send us an address. We'll send you a load of bookmarks with, uh, with the logo on it. And, uh, you know what we should do? Podcast. Let's have a book giveaway. We can give away copies of our books, maybe take turns for the next <clears throat> couple of people who write reviews on iTunes. Okay. We'll send them a set, so we'll send them your book and my book? Um, why don't we just do your book first or my book first and then get a couple of reviews? And then, I don't know, it's just sort of two books. Just to write one review seems a little bit overly... Not It's not the generosity, it's like the desperation. Why don't we just like cut them a check for 100 bucks while we're at it? You know what I mean? Well, it's, it's a marketing thing. We're like saying, like, here's the here's the personal rejection letter, uh, you know, the the whole book collection so far. But all right, I'll, 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 you've been right so far on this stuff, so I'll, I'll accede to your ideas here. Okay. Well, I don't know. Since we're saying it online, does that mean that it's really going to happen? Yeah, I think we have to know. So the next person who writes a book, a review on iTunes, we will contact or you contact us and say, I want my book. And we'll check. We'll make sure that the review is there and that it's suitably awesome. Is that part (laughs) of That's an asterisk or maybe an ampersand. 
I think we don't even have to say it. You understand what we're saying. If you come, if you, if you, if you, uh, if you rip us, I'm not, uh, we're not, we're going <clears> to. <throat> we might lose that, uh, yeah. the book in the mail. I might put the wrong address on it. Yep. But yeah, and send us your address and I will send you a copy of Married But Looking, my debut story collection from Livingston Press. Yeah. So, and, and then after that, that whole hubba baloo, hubba baloo, hulla baloo, is over. Um, then I'll uh, do the same thing with my book, and we'll just kind of work it that way. Okay. As I said earlier in the podcast, that I had I had started to write poetry, and uh, it's for me when I write a poem, it's really a cry for help. Not the poem is a cry for help, but it's just a sign that everything has gone wrong in my life in terms of what I'm planning on doing for that day. But uh, I have to say that because there's they'll never get published and never even get read. That it feels good to actually do that. You can actually come up with stuff and uh, mess around with words. And uh, I would recommend our writers of fiction and nonfiction to to enforce yourself to write a poem every once in a while and make sure to keep it in your desk drawer. It gets the juices flowing. It feels good to be done with it, to have something executed. And uh, I'm kind of proud of it. But awesome. I'm not going to show awesome. it to you. So don't oh, ask. you're not going to read it? No. What's it's it about? Epic. Oh, it's about, uh, well, it's about turning 50, Kelly. Oh. So I don't think you can relate to it. No. No, that's neat. Yeah, I love that advice. I love it. And I bet you our poets out there saying, I told you. We need to have a poet on the show. I know. Soon. We'll work on it. I was talking about Mark Petrakowski, whose name I failed to yep. mention, but then did. I want to have him on. Okay. He's a good guy. This is a lot of fun. Yeah, man. I enjoyed it. Thank you, Gabe. Yes, indeed. Gabriel and the Archangel. Oh, Archangel. Gabe. We already did that joke, the Archangel. Archangel. Um, I don't remember it, but... The- if, if he doesn't go by Gabe, I apologize. I've been calling him Gabe. No, he does. Okay. He does. All right, man. Yeah. Thanks, Dan. I enjoyed it. I'll okay. catch you later, bro. Bye-bye. And all you guys out there, catch you later, too. Bye-bye. Special thanks to Augustana College and WOG Student Radio. Gabe Tucker is our audio engineer, and Sub-Atlantic provides the theme music. You can reach Dan and Kelly on Facebook. We always welcome comments, critiques, suggestions, and especially praise. Follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram. If you like what you hear, do a podcast a solid and leave a review on iTunes. See you next time.